The key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, 9-11 itself. Hey, welcome to another Truth She Had Radio special live edition coming at you from the ice cream trailer deep in the woods of western Wisconsin at an undisclosed location. I'm Kevin Barrett, bringing on people challenging conventional wisdom from a wide variety of perspectives. I guarantee there should be at least a few perspectives here every month that will annoy you, if not outright piss you off. Some of the perspectives we're bringing on today include those of... Trump fanboy, well, I shouldn't say that, um, uh, Trump um, emulator, no, no, Trump uh, Trump proponent, Rolf Lindgren, he's a Wisconsin Republican activist coming on in the second hour to talk about Trump, Galileo, and WTC7, among other things. Before him in the second hour, Joel Hirschhorn, a former professor, professor of metallurgical engineering at the University of Wisconsin, who has advised Congress on a long list of technical topics, will join us to ask, do people really need the new boosters? And now, in the first hour, uh, another professor from the American Academy who's not afraid to tell the truth, despite the terrible things that sometimes do happen to truth-tellers, Modi Nassani is on, and he knows what kinds of terrible things sometimes happen to truth-tellers better than anybody, because he just published a new book entitled Encyclopedia of Domestic Assassinations. It's quite a long list of politicians and writers and journalists and cultural figures and others who have been almost certainly, in some cases certainly, in other cases quite likely, rubbed out by the deep state. And as Modi points out in the introduction, assassination for political reasons has been going on forever, pretty much. So let's hear about it from the author himself, Dr. Moti Nassani, Professor Emeritus of Biology from Wayne State University. Hey, welcome, Moti. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and I'm very glad to be here. Hey, good to have you, and I'm glad your connection is is good. I know you're you're off uh, somewhere in the world where the uh, utilities and infrastructure isn't entirely reliable. I guess that goes for a lot of places these no, days. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're actually um, in Patagonia, in Argentina. And spring is coming now, and it's a beautiful place, but some amenities are missing. And one of them is good Internet connection. But so far, so good. Well, so much for my plan to emigrate to Patagonia to escape the coming nuclear holocaust. Uh, (laughs) I've actually interviewed uh, David Chu on this program a couple of times. He is the author of Escape to Patagonia. He had a website with that name for a long time, urging people to leave North America and go to Patagonia. Would you agree with him that it's a good place to go? I, I definitely agree with him. Well, for one thing, I, I had to get out of the United States. But for another, it's an excellent place to go. First of all, nuclear holocaust, if there are survivors, they are more likely to be here than in, uh, in the United States. Uh, secondly, uh, if you believe, which I do, in global warming, 
um, there is, according to some some scientists, um, it will uh, it will hit Patagonia much later, about 15 years later, than it will hit the United States. So, uh, and also, uh, it, it's a corrupt country and a corrupt government, like everywhere else. But it, it it's not a strong government, so you can. Where we are, we live in a farm in a, rural, in a really rural place, and uh, for us, we are, I feel freer here than I felt in the United States. So, more or less, and it's also beautiful. I mean, it just—I can send you later on email some photos. It's just a beautiful place in the Andes. That's what David said, and yeah, he sent some photos that look like really the most beautiful parts of the Alps. It does look really nice. Uh huh. Yes. Well. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's get into the corruption in the United States, which is, of course, what, what chased David Chu out of the United States all the way to Patagonia, because he uh, he, he was actually a, a rah-rah conservative Republican patriot who led the biggest and most successful pro-Iraq war demonstrations in California, in Santa Rosa, California. Oh, really? He mobilized like hundreds uh-huh. of thousands of people to demonstrate in favor of the Iraq war, and then he woke up to 9-11 truth. And the next thing you know, he was extremely disillusioned. He escaped to Patagonia, and he's come to his senses on a long list of issues since then. So, so yeah, the corruption here in the United States is enough to drive anyone to look for uh, greener pastures, I suppose. Uh, and, and assassinations are, are one of those issues. You know, we pretend that the rule of law is the, the way of the land and that you can have you know, freedom of speech, First Amendment, uh, say what you want, and that everybody plays by the rules, but the fact is they don't play by the rules, and one of the ways that they don't is that people get whacked. <laughs> so maybe you could talk a little bit about what led you to write this encyclopedia of assassinations. I I really don't know. I think it started when I t- tried to find out. I, I uh, 30 years ago, I wrote, wrote a book about the uh, Soviet-American uh, uh, Cold War. And for me, that was, you talk about epiphany or waking up, that I, I entered some also as far as as a conservative. I, for example, during the Vietnam War, I was reading Newsweek. I mean, it's hard for me to, to confess it, but, and believing, <laughs> and believing. everything that they were telling us. If they, if they, I was a, a graduate student at the time, if they called me, I would have gone. So, but then I decided to look at the, at, that was my, there were several other landmarks in my intellectual development. But I decided to look, for some reason I started studying the Cold War. And then I realized, and that's what, I realized that it was the Americans who are driving that war. That it was, and that, uh, uh, in chapter nine I tried to, uh, to explain what's going on. How come, how come a, a country that called itself a democracy that I thought was a democracy turned out to be, <laughs> to, to, to drive that dangerous, dangerous, uh, 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 situation which could bring about the elimination of our species? So, uh, so I started asking myself, and of course, one of the reasons was money. Uh, our politicians are, as Michael Moore says in one of his very funny videos, our hosts, they are simply, they, uh, they, uh, they're not democracy, they're sunshine bribery. You and I can give $25 to somebody, 
uh, Exxon can give $25 million to somebody. So obviously, the second, second element uh, is uh, information. Uh, they control all the information, and the people that you and I know that we encounter, most of them are not like that men who walk up. They are before the waking up. They, be, they read the CNN or the New York Times. Or, uh, to give you one example, right now in Ukraine, which I've been following closely, they are telling us that the Russians are bombing a nuclear power plant that they themselves control. I mean, how ridiculous can it be? So they have information. And I call it the pillars. There are about 16 pillars of, of American democracy. Democracy, quote, unquote. Uh, and so eventually, uh, while writing this book, I realized that maybe one of the strongest pillars is assassination. And not only assassination, incarceration, uh, smears. And then I started uh, over the years starting studying it. And I wrote an article uh, not that long about it and just started collecting information. And so that's why, that's what led me to that. Uh, and in the encyclopedia, uh, I have about, I forgot how many, but about 50 plus victims of, of murder. Then if quite a few victims of, of, of uh, smears, incarceration, and so on. But I think the strongest part of the book and there, a lot of people have been doing it. I just collected a lot of information and put it together. For example, Pat Tillman or, or uh, Aaron Russo and many others. But I think the important part, part of the book, at least it seems to me, is chapter one, where I look at the whole field. I look, I take, kind of take a bird's eye view, and I think I provide uh, statistical, predictive, scientific evidence that we are ruled by blackmailers and murderers. There's no other way. I would bet my life, I'll, I'll bet a million dollars against one penny that that is the reality. There is no other way of looking at it. I'll give you uh, one example, for example. Shall I? Yes, please do. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, yes, please, please go ahead and, and give us an example. Yeah, okay. Uh, one example, and there are many, many, many such examples. One example, I look at Wikipedia, and uh, Wikipedia has a six of federal congressmen and ex-congressmen that were officially murdered since 1915. Okay, you'll know the first, uh, unless you might have read the book, but you know all six. But you know the first four, and I knew it too before looking at that, before uh, stumbling across that Wikipedia, Wikipedia article. And the first one, you'll not be surprised, are John F. Kennedy and William McKinley, two presidents. And then the next two are presidential candidates, Robert F. Kennedy and Huey Long from Louisiana, who was probably going to win if they did not kill him. So I knew all about that. But then... The, the uh, article mentioned two other names. Uh, the names were Allard, uh Lowenstein and, um, and Leo Ryan. I never heard of them. I should have heard about Leo Ryan, but I never heard of them. So I proceeded. Okay. Okay, there are two more that I don't know about. And the two of them were dissidents, they were radicals. They were 
for example, Ryan, as far as I can remember now, wanted, was, was going after the CIA. Imagine, he was going after the Central Institute of Assassination. That's how he called them. And, and uh, Lowenstein had a program at one point uh, uh, in the mainstream media where he tried to, to, to tell, uh, to find out and accusing the government of, of being involved in the Robert F. Kennedy assassination, who would have been the president otherwise. So that's just one example, and I have many, many other examples where I can actually, I could actually go and predict, uh, I predicted that that person uh, would have been dead, or and why. And also, uh, sometimes I uh, look at somebody, uh, for example, um, Paul Wellstone from uh, Minnesota, Labor in state, and uh, uh, no, you're not there. But, but uh, anyway, Paul Wilson, Senator Paul Wilson, and there is somebody, uh, some professor. His name is Michael. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Nyman or Neiman. And he says, "I knew, I knew in advance that they are going to kill him." Um, so, and there are many other lines of, in chapter one, especially line of evidence. In my opinion, and I was, I took, you know, I took quite a few courses in statistics. I'm a natural scientist, and uh, I, I'm cautious. I don't. I'm not overstating, but I would say that I'm as sure that the deep state or the invisible government uh, murder their opponents, uh, as I'm sure that the sun will rise tomorrow. That is how strong the case is. There is no, in my opinion, no argument about it. So when we talk about the deep state or the invisible government, it raises the question about how such a group would organize and perpetuate itself. And, you know, I guess there are sort of two theories about how these assassinations that you're talking about could happen uh, in the way that they do. And one of them would be that there is a sort of secret society that is central to all of this. And perhaps it's the sort of thing that you get invited into when you have certain types of credentials, like, you know, you work well with others, you have a high IQ, and you test pretty high on the psychopathy test. Um, <laughs> that's, what, that's what actually, as I recall, uh, the uh, economic hitman John Perkins said, that was how he got recruited just to be an economic hitman, was that he had successfully covered up a crime, and that came to the attention of the people who recruit economic hitmen for the World Bank and the IMF. So anyway, you could have a sort of institutionalized murder incorporated that is a secret, it has to be a secret society, they can't admit that it exists, and then it goes on down through the generations as they secretly recruit people. And then the other approach would be to say, well, you know, in the organized crime world, you know, people get whacked all the time. And there are certain patterns of behavior that you see over and over and over among organized crime syndicates, whether they're in the United States or the Yakuza in Japan or wherever you look, they all do pretty much the same thing. And whacking people is just one of the things that they do because it's a good tool of getting things done and accumulating more power for your group when you sort of selectively uh, kill people that stand in your way one way or another. So it could just emerge sort of naturally from the power ecosystem at the high levels of power without a, an actual secret society that's organizing it. So those would be the sort of two poles of our uh, our theoretical attempt at an explanation. 
and so where do you think the reality is? Is it towards one or the other of those two poles, or is it sort of in the middle? Uh, I, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure that there, that there, uh, the United States uh, dissidents die all the time. I'm sure that they're getting incarcerated. But who is behind it? I suspect, my suspicion, is that it's uh, uh, bankers, and because, uh, well, at the top of the pyramid, maybe some of them are members of secret society. It seems very plausible. But it, at the top of the pyramid, it seems to me, but I, now I'm just speculating. It's very difficult to tell. But it started a long time ago with John D. Rockefeller, for example. He, if you look at the book, he killed his competitor. There's no question about it. Uh, Ida Carver, who, uh, Mark Raker of a century ago, said that the country is so much poorer and uglier. I, I'm paraphrasing, I forgot. Uh, thanks to this, to this guy, John D. Rockefeller. And I think even before that, I think the Rothschilds, but I'm just speculating. The Rothschilds also have to further their goals. They are willing to, they want, it seems to me, and again I'm speculating, it seems to me that they want to enslave us, simply, and they want all the money in the world and all the power in the world. It's the same dream that Alexander uh, of Macedonia had, the same dream of a lot of other psychopaths in our long history. It's the just what oligarchs do. Uh, if you look at the cover of the book, it's nothing new under the sun. If you look at the cover of the book, you, uh, you'll see that the top has two, two Romans, the Gracchi brother, Tiberius, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Gaius. Gaius, because there are two brothers that were murdered by oligarchs something like 2,000 years ago. It's a pattern. I've, right now I'm writing about Athens and direct democracy. They also, the oligarchs, are in the business of killing their opponents. They, fe- they feel that we, you and I, and, and the people who are listening to us right now, are inferior, are serfs, to quote another Rockefeller. We are just serfs. We are, we are, so they find it as a justification. Or um, David Rockefeller, who I suspect is behind many of these assassinations, especially the Kennedys, um, for example, he dated once. The first Kennedy to die was Kathleen Kennedy. And he dated her. She fell in, go, go jump in the lake. I'm speculating. And she died in a, in a plane accident. So, uh, uh, I, I don't know exactly who is behind it. But we know that the CIA and the FBI are their tools. Uh, that is absolutely clear. Who gives them instruction? They are just they are just operators. Who gave the CIA go kill that guy? It could be members of secret, particular secret society. It could be the top-ranking bankers like David uh, Rockefeller uh, was. But the truth is that they know p- part of their power is to keep themselves as invisible as they can. That's why some people call them the invisible government. They because if it was very clear that they are behind it, they'll be targeted by somebody. So they stay in the background and pull the strings of the FBI, the CIA, and it's not only the FBI and CIA. I, I believe they control the German intelligence services. They control the, the uh, um, French intelligence services. Uh, for example, he's not in my book because he's a foreigner, but 
there was a guy that wrote a book, Mark Journalism. His name was, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Udo Ulfkote. He was an editor of a uh, high-level magazine in, uh, in Germany. Well, he came out and he said what, uh, what we do as journalists, the CIA gives us articles and we publish them. That's how it works. He came out and then somebody asked him, uh, Udo, aren't you afraid that they'll kill you? I said, yes, of course I'm afraid. But I have no family, so if I go, I go. And two years later, you know what happened to him. Yeah, said, I've actually interviewed, his, pu- so I interviewed his publisher, uh, his English language publisher, John Leonard, on the show about his book a few years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, one time I looked, it showed you again how they control everything, these uh, very unpleasant people. I looked for the book in English. You know how much the, 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 uh, Amazon was charging for that book? For Ufkot's book? For, for uh, his, his book, Bought Journalism in English. You could, now you can't get it at all. It's just really? I, th- I, th- I thought it was... At the time, about two years ago, they were charging you close to $1,000 to get his book. That is another type of censorship. They control everything. Wow. Um, yeah, because I, I thought uh, John finally did publish it, but let's uh, let's see if I can. Well, I'll, I'll have to do a little research project and see because I, I know it was it was really hard to get, and then I thought John at Progressive Press did succeed in publishing it, so people can research that and figure it out. But yeah, your larger point here is absolutely right, and so you've you've taken an encyclopedic approach to this. So you start out at the beginning of the book uh-huh. and sort of lay out the history and, and the theoretical side. And then you give us uh, 50 or so, 50 to 60 people uh, who appear to be the victims of this murder-incorporated cabal working presumably for the banksters. And, you know, your guess that David Rockefeller is, is central to this or was is probably pretty good. I had William Pepper on the show uh, who actually convinced a jury that Martin Luther King had been killed by the CIA and FBI and s- some U.S. military snipers backing up the uh, top sharpshooter for the Memphis Police Department. And uh, Martin then ended up being finished off uh, by being uh, smothered with a pillow in the hospital uh, by a CIA assassin. So anyway... Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. so Bill Pepper exposed that. Anyway, he said that uh, he knows the Rockefeller family. I think he dated or knew at least, uh, I think, Abby Rockefeller and so he was kind of, you know, had had connections to that family, and he uh, wanted to raise the issue of Rockefeller, David Rockefeller, having sent his right-hand man to Dallas on the evening of November 21st, 1963, uh, John McCloy was the guy's name, I think, to uh, basically give the go-ahead for the JFK assassination. And this was just not long before yes. Rockefeller died, uh, and and I guess Bill Pepper, yes. you know, he he asked uh, Abby if he could have one last talk with uh, David Rockefeller and maybe get him on the record about that. And Abby demurred, saying that, oh, you know, that's very painful subject and water under the bridge. He probably doesn't want to talk about that right before he dies, and probably has no, you know, she didn't say it, but apparently he probably had no interest in disburdening his conscience because he doesn't have much of a conscience. So I guess we all have to still sort of speculate about that. Yeah. Let me respond about uh, William Pepper. I think he did, I mean, just it's a crusade, a pilgrimage for him, and he keeps writing books about it. I think in that case, the case is conclusive. We, do, we can't be sure that the Rockefeller 
but there was, uh, he probably told you, there was a jury trial, and the jury found the government guilty of being involved in the assassination of Martin Luther King. So in that kind of a case, we are absolutely sure. And I didn't know about that angle. I'm very glad you told me, and I'm going to listen to it as soon as our interview is over. I'm going to listen to that interview with uh, Bill Perver. I didn't know. I didn't know about it. But yes, that's. Uh, I would say, okay, Martin Luther King, 99% chance that they killed him. Another guy, the Black Panther Party, was simply decimated. I mean, it was a campaign, a vicious, vicious campaign. A word Churchill. I uh, uh, wrote a beautiful, I mean, not beautiful, very depressing article, but showed that it was a campaign of assassination. For example, one of the one of the uh, uh, leaders of the Black Panther Party, uh, like Martin Luther King, they, they had no no questions about it. They killed him. They uh, they had they had the informant, which is the usual FBI tactic. The informant put him to sleep. I don't know. Why they had to put him to sleep? So he was asleep, and then they stormed his apartment and simply killed him. You're talking about Fred, was, Fred Hampton. While he was, yeah, the Chicago Fred leader, Hampton. Fred Hampton. Yeah, uh, were the were the, uh, uh, the Chicago uh, Chicago leader of the Black Panther Party. So in that case, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. Hundred percent. Now, some in some cases, in some cases, they they if you look at the case, like again, I think that Kennedy. There are so many books about it. It's, so, it's almost entirely starting with Jim Garrison from Louisiana, who was by himself paid a very, very heavy price. I don't think they killed him, but they made his life absolute hell. So they, they either kill you yeah. or they make you wish that they had. More or less, absolutely. Uh, I mean, they go. They put the uh, governor of Alabama. Seven years in prison for nothing because he defied them. The governor of, 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 of uh, Illinois, the governor of Illinois, 12 years killing in toilet. Why? It's clear. Why? Because he was going, he was, I guess, somewhat of a decent person. He was going bank of, against Bank of America, was treating its, its worker badly. So he, he said, okay, from now on, I'll take is not going to deal with Bank of America. A few days later, he was dead. He was taken to prison. Uh, I forgot several times, and they keep going. They keep going in such cases, over and over and again. Make your life hell until they get somebody, who, uh, a judge and a jury, will put you in prison. And he sat for years and years. A governor, a governor, sat in years for years and years for nothing. It was uh, the, the allegations were, and that's. The way it goes. I mean, uh, uh, it goes back. One of my favorite books is, I'm sure you know about it. Uh, it's called The Brass Check by Upton Sinclair. And it was, I think it was published in 1919. It's a better book about the media than anything that contemporary writers do. They're not, they never cite him. I don't know why. He is a hundred times better writer, maybe with the exception of Michael Parenti, who is also a great writer, but uh, certainly better writer than Noam Chomsky, and much more informative, much more honest, and uh, and he, he he details quite a few. Like one of the one of the case studies that I took was a guy that 
were, they were demonstrating again in front of the Rockefeller house, uh, Rockefeller Jr., John uh, Rockefeller Jr. They were demonstrating the range of bombing of three people died and they dispelled. But uh, Upton Sinclair in that book explains how the, how the media works. And, uh, it's just so really uh, how they frame people, they frame a judge. I don't remember the details now. Uh, they are framing people, they, they kill people, although he doesn't go that far as saying they're killing them. And yes, that's the way it is. That's the, we have to, there's no question mark. There is a question mark, I, I want to emphasize, there's a question mark in every particular case. Fred Hampton, 100%. Martin Luther King, 99%. John F. Kennedy, 99%. But some of the musicians that I described, because they also have uh, uh, what Alex Constantine called the covert war against rock. They kill musicians. Uh, they go after, they went after God knows how many. Phil Oaks is one, one example. John Lennon is another example because they are powerful and influential. Yeah, so in, in Lennon's case, it's pretty, it's pretty it clear that Mark David Chaplin, Chaplin was a, or Mark David Chapman was a mind control subject, just like Sir Hunt, Sir Hunt. Absolutely. Absolutely. But okay. Uh, you know, if you have people who doubt, we can say, okay, 97% or something like that, or 93 if you, uh, but if you look at the, the point I'm, the important point of the book, it's also encyclopedia, and it's very interesting, like Pat Tillman. It's shocking what they, what they did to him. Aaron Russo, who was also, Aaron Russo was a friend of another, like, like, uh, was a friend of one of the Rockefellers. He came out and said, Explain the program, uh, and so he was two days, la- two years later, or something like that, died of, of cancer. Yeah, Re- Aaron uh, Russo. Uh, the, remember the Aaron, the, Aaron Russo predicted 9/11 because he, he said that this Rock, Nick Rockefeller told him ahead of time that about Rock, 9/11 was coming. Exactly. And, and so he was kind of horrified that why do you have exactly. to do this? And another, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and another person right out, his name escaped me in the encyclopedia. Uh, he. Also predicted 9/11. It was a famous radio show, uh, more or less your predecessor. Uh, he, he was uh, maybe a little bit, uh, but he predicted it. Guess what happened to him? You're, you're talking about you're talking about Bill Cooper. Bill house. Cooper. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Bill Cooper. Uh, Bill Cooper is uh, uh, again predicted 9/11, and we all know what happened to him. That's the way it is. But uh, let, let me just emphasize the key point. It, in all those cases, well, somebody might you talk to somebody who's not awake, and they will say, well, you know, you might be right, but you can't be sure. because, And that's true, in, except for a few individuals where it's absolutely clear that the invisible government, the Rockefeller or Rothschild or whoever it is, killed them. In most cases, you can be sure in individual cases. But if you look at the picture as a whole, and, and which I do in chapter one, and also the other chapter, but chapter one, if you look at the picture as a whole, the conclusion is, if you just kind of a bird's eye view of the situation, the conclusion is inescapable. The people who control us, who control the United States, are, I mean, just bad news. Absolutely. It's a little bit like David Ray Griffin's cumulative case for 9-11 being a false flag inside job. And David points out that here is a a list of items of evidence, and in some cases, even one or two of these really prove it. 
But here we have dozens and dozens, uh, you know, here's here 50, 60, 70, 80 different pieces of evidence, any one of which gives uh, a pretty strong uh, element of proof that this was a false flag. Now, we might be wrong about a couple of these, or even a number of them, but this is an overwhelming cumulative case. And it's the same thing with these 55 or however many people that you've lined up in your Encyclopedia of Domestic Assassinations, that even if you might be wrong about you know, one or two of them, the pattern is unmistakable. Absolutely. The pattern is unmistakable. And, uh, and t- talking about 9-11, by the way, I'm absolutely convinced that it was an inside job for the same reason that, that he gives uh, in one of my sources. But, uh, but again, uh, you know, the evidence is overwhelming, but like in science, as you well know, in science, you don't prove anything. If you have a 95% probability that your hypothesis is correct, then it's accepted as truth. In, in, in that case, I think 9-11 is a case where, where indeed, every, forget about the pattern. Every person who studies it, uh, should be convinced that that's the case. It's not only 9-11. There are many. The United States history is a history of false flag, flags operations. You have the Maine. You have the Lusitania. Uh, uh, it's just the way it is. These people are liars and I don't know. They are villains. Uh, psychopaths. Maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe they were raised like the Rockefellers. Maybe, I don't know exactly what's mechanism, but uh, maybe they were raised in such a way that that made them think that we are serfs and that it's okay to kill us. I don't know. Ex- the psychology of those people uh, would be very interesting. Yeah. But yes, the point is, yes, maybe two or three or five cases. Uh, uh, like I have, I have, I include uh, Bobby there. In uh, the single, you are old enough to remember it. Well, I'm just barely old enough, but I I actually didn't know about that. There are a number of cases in your book that I hadn't really known about before, and this is one. Yeah, but but in that case, okay, that case, he also suffered. I just put it for that purpose, to show that some of the uh, uh, cases are questionable. In that case, he he had serious medical problems. So the uh, the deep state, the CIA, the Central Institute of Assassination, uh, the FBI, they uh, uh, had had reasons, or the the people who control them had reasons to kill him. I mean, I give that those reasons, but it's also possible that he was very very ill and that he died of natural causes. So that's that is the weakest case. I wanted to I I wanted to include it to make the point that maybe. Couple by couple of them are, are, you know, not. But the pattern—that's the point. That you, the point that you just made. You can't have 50 plus people, all of them, all of them dissidents, uh, dying just like that, uh, one after the other, one after the other, and with so much circumstantial evidence. The conclusion is inescapable. And you know, I, uh, in a video I sent you. I talk about uh, pillars of uh, American democracy, in quotes, and one of them is conspiracy theory, of which you, I'm sure you've heard 
Plagio. The whole thing. What, what does it mean, conspiracy theory? It's just nonsense. Of course, we conspire. You and I conspire at the time. They, certainly the oligarchs are conspire. And, but some, most people believe that nonsense, that our leaders never conspire. They never, they are not, they don't even want to listen to you. And uh, uh, they say, you say, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. That is the, the, the term was invented by the CIA. And that shows you the power, again, the power of propaganda, uh, which leads us to psychology. And um, at one point I was so frustrated, I actually carried out a psychological experience along with my wife, trying to understand how is it that people cling to their beliefs, even though they have evidence against them. You can find it, it's called belief perseverance, you can find it in Wikipedia. But... uh, because I just couldn't believe that most people, at least, I don't know, you probably are moving in a, in a better circles than I do, but most people that I know, uh, just, just, they just don't, don't even listen to you. you they, they, instead of asking, what is the evidence? No, they just, oh, here's a conspiracy theory, ciao. Well, you know, I've discovered something interesting, Modi, which is that there is kind of a new demographic of people opening up who are suddenly becoming open to conspiracy theories, so-called conspiracy theories, and that is... So-called, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the the Republicans here in the state of Wisconsin, which is ironic because I was witch-hunted by Republicans in 2006 for speaking out about 9-11, uh, doing uh, teach-ins and you know, being a part of the truth movement while I was teaching at that university. The Republican Party went after me. Uh, it was a, a bunch of Republican officials were, were the ones involved, and I suspect it was led from on high by people like Karl Rove and, uh, and Lynn Cheney, uh, whose, whose group ACTA was, was pushing it. So anyway... Uh, at that time, the Republicans were very upset about my 9-11 truth work. They all seemed to think that I was maligning the reputations of Bush and Cheney. But now, in 2022, Trump has kind of flipped the Republican Party mentality, and I've been going to Republican Party events with my friend and former Libertarian campaign manager, Rolf Lindgren, who's going to be on in the second hour. And what I've discovered is that the Republicans are very much open to conspiracy theories. Of course, a lot of them are sort of pro-Trump conspiracy theories like the uh, January 6th election fraud thing and things like that, but they're more open-minded about the whole range of them. So, uh, and actually having a, an event about, you know, it's, it's entitled uh, Which Conspiracy Theories Are True and How Do We Know? And that, that's going to be at the public library in McFarland, Wisconsin, on September 10th, the eve of the 9-11 anniversary. And it's going to be featuring Ron Unz, who will be speaking remotely via Zoom and celebrating his six books on various aspects of hidden history and so-called conspiracy theories, which is kind of an amazing publishing event. He's just put out six really strong books all at once uh, after having them on the Internet for a while in some cases. And then Ron is also leading the charge on the COVID origins question and the evidence pointing at a deliberate U.S. biological attack on China and Iran. And and so that should be an interesting event. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, just like in 2005, when 500 people came to my David Gray Griffin event that I organized at the university, and C-SPAN covered it live, uh, most of those people were Democrats. 
And and on this this new event here in 2022 at the McFarland Public Library, McFarland, Wisconsin, on September 10th uh, at 6 p.m., I I'll bet that the majority of people will be Republicans. Um, so it's very strange. It's it's sort of like you know Russia was the enemy because they were the godless communists, and now Russia is the enemy because they worship God too much and they don't like LGBTQ. So that you know the world is keeps turning upside down, and and uh, I can barely keep up with it. I entirely I agree that right now the Republicans are the lesser of the two evils. But at the same time, and I agree, I think it's because, at least they are appealing uh, for, uh, to, to freedom-loving people and because we are becoming a police state. We are a police state. And so they are appealing to freedom-loving. I don't know how sincere they are, but they are certainly more open or look at what they are doing to Trump. I mean, I don't like him at all, but but it's clearly a witch hunt. I mean, it's it's scandalous that anybody, a president, former president, and what they did to of the United States is being is being harassed and uh, 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 because they don't want him to run. That's clearly what it is. So yes, I entirely agree that the Republicans now. If I did vote, I would vote Republican and not Democrat. But I don't vote. And I don't vote, and I haven't been voting since waking up 20 years ago. I don't vote, and I don't like either one of them. Both of them belong to the Rockefellers and Rothschilds, to the big business. Both of them get the money. It's just, it just, in, to me, it just, uh, I think Ralph Nader says someplace, it's two wings of the same bird. They are just slight variations, but I don't, Put both both of them, uh, yeah. The Republicans now are much better. They are uh, they want to get elected, but uh, they will not do anything about the environment, which is, in my opinion, the big crisis. They are the ones who voted for taking trillions from you and I. Trillions. Uh, I, I I read someplace we lost we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because they gave it to the bankers. That the Republicans do. I mean, one could go. They are just as we talk about Russia. I'm totally. I hope you agree with me, but I, it's it's the Ukrainians are Nazis. They're, uh, yes, I, I, I agree. Yes, the Republicans <laughs> in, the, in the bad supporting, sense, they, they're giving not they're giving Nazis a bad name. Supporting the yes, <laughs> and the encroachment on. So my my own personal opinion is I let go of the two party system. I let go of the, any appearances of the democracy. We live in a police state, and if we want to regain our freedom, I told you before, if we want to regain our freedom, if we want to have social justice, if we want, we can have paradise on earth. It's not only social justice. We have, uh, uh, there is a wonderful book called Critical Path, many years ago, by our Buckminster Fuller. Uh, I don't know if you read it, but I'm sure you know his name. And he says, we can have a paradise on earth. We, everybody can have free education, free housing, free everything. It's not necessary, uh, what we are doing. Uh, Alan Brown, uh, also, uh, you know, shows we just have to have public banking. Just get rid of these bankers once and for all. And we'll have, again, and she cites, I think, the state of, uh, North, North Dakota, uh, which has a public, and it's in the best shape of all of them. And just a little state. So we know we can, we have can 
such a wonderful world. We don't need wars. What are we fighting about? The whole thing is just crazy because they want power. So, and to me, Republicans, Democrats, you name them, are not going to solve the problem. The system is broken. And if you come up and if you do fall, let's say Ellen Brown with the Republic uh, banking campaign, let's say she became very powerful and let's say she had millions of followers and it became a genuine threat. She doesn't and she will not because they control the information sources. But let's say we have like, uh, a, a big movement and uh, uh, of public banking. You know what's going to happen to Ellen Brown and anybody that leads the movement. She will be underground very quickly. Now, they, it's the system now, change is not possible. Change within the system, it's gone. It's my opinion. I know that it sounds somewhat uh, radical, but it's my opinion. We cannot change the system from within. The only way we can change the system is the tradition of some kind of strategic revolution that will get rid of, of, of the people who control us and uh, establish uh, establish uh, a direct democracy. Uh, there are many, many other. The Occupy movement is, a, is another example. You try to do something, the, the wobblies, the unions, destroyed, totally destroyed, killed, incarcerated. Um, going back to the Sherry Rebellion, or look at the truckers in Canada. What did they do? And look at the measures they took against them. No. In my opinion, we have to start thinking of, of overthrowing that so-called democracy that in reality is a fascist democracy. But somebody said, I forgot, when fascism comes to America, it will dress itself in the government, I, I'm paraphrasing, of democracy. You know the expression better than I do. Well, fascism now is in full-fledged in America, and fascists don't let go of their power. The only way to fight fascists is with a gun. Well, of course, Joe Biden just gave a speech uh, calling the Republicans semi-fascists. Um, but obviously, yeah. that's that's yeah, it's that's, not a one, one party or the other problem. It's the problem is the oligarchy is is a very authoritarian and corrupt oligarchy. I'm not sure if the word fascist is entirely right for that, uh, but you know, you can call it what you want, I guess. Well, well, yeah, I, I'm not committed to that particular world, but it would. But people are getting killed. Or, uh, dissidents are getting killed. We agree on that. Uh, the billionaires are getting richer all the time, and the great majority is uh, is losing ground. Uh, there are several, several uh, um, overseas. Uh, I don't mention it in the book, but overseas, it, it's also like that. You know it, okay? If a democratic government comes along in Chile, in uh, John, you mentioned John Perkins. He describes exactly what happened to the Democrats. We get rid of them and install a Somoza or a Pinochet or a Zelensky or whoever. I mean, this is, uh, it doesn't matter. We agree on, 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 I don't know if it's fascism. It's just a word. But we agree that the reality, reality that we are facing is good, that we are controlled by people who should not be controlling us, and we should we should go back to the people who found founded. They had many flaws, like Thomas Jefferson or Thomas Paine, but they were willing to fight for the freedom. 
gave me freedom or gave me death. Now it's not only freedom. It's given me survival. They are attacking the very... I taught environmental biology for, for many, many years. And uh, it's not very... You know, we are dividing into camps, and the people who love freedom denigrate concern for the environment, but they are mistaken. It's we are facing, and it's not only the, it's not only global warming. It's on many, many fronts. Your your body, nobody asks your permission, but your body is full of chemicals. Uh, If you have prostate problems, it's probably it's not natural. It's because of the chemicals that you, you. Nobody asks you. They are. Uh, impeaching on funerals. So I think, I think social justice, all of that is, is, is not there and we could have such a better world. So it doesn't matter to me how, oh, you let me ask you, how would you characterize the American system? Well, you know, I think if you're using the best definition of fascism, which is an authoritarian merger of state power and corporate power, uh, that is actually pretty accurate. And then I, I would add a kind of a, uh, a criminal element. That is, when when this corporate government merger ends up acting pretty much like organized crime, that describes the situation that we're in. And it, as far as how how do we change this? As you said, you know, trying to work within the system seems hopeless. On the other hand, trying to go outside the system sometimes seems even more hopeless. I had a debate with my old friend, Dr. Bob Bowman, who's a Caltech rocket science PhD, who uh, ran the SDI before it was called SDI under Ford and Carter, and then resigned as a whistleblower because it was all Uh offense. It was about doing a first nuclear strike. And he then became an activist and whistleblower and a leader of the 9-11 truth movement. And when I ran for Congress in 2008, as a libertarian, he said he thought that wasn't the best decision that's better to run in a major party because then you actually have a chance of winning and actually leveraging things more. So he then ran as a Democrat in a perennially Republican district in Florida in, I don't know if it was like 2012, I think, or something, or maybe 2010. And and he actually won it. Uh, he won a pretty clear victory, according to the exit polls, but the rigged voting machines told a different story, which disillusioned him uh, tremendously. In any case, uh, the question is whether people with a foothold inside the system actually have a little bit more leverage to move the dial, and that's that's the reason that they are disproportionately getting murdered. Like, if somebody was going to get murdered now, I would think of people like Rand Paul or Senator Ron Johnson uh, from Wisconsin both of those guys are interested in COVID origins, and that seems to be a very sensitive subject these days for obvious reasons. They would be the kind of people that I would worry about and I would tell to stay out of small planes. In fact, Ron Paul, or rather, uh, Ron Johnson has already talked about clashing with the deep state and having, you know, getting harassment from the deep state. That's partly what pissed him off and led him to run again this year. So even though I disagree with Ron Johnson about various things like uh, wanting to, to cut or rethink Social Security, that's horrifying, things like that. I d- disagree with his philosophy, but he's been so brave on, on certain things that I, uh, I kind of like him. In any case, that if, you know, if, if going through the system to build some leverage gives you a chance of making enough difference that they have to kill you, then maybe that's actually a more uh, effective path than just sort of being marginal, like I am. <laughs> <laughs> well... My opinion is it's hopeless to go within the system because uh, because if you go within the system, 
what happens to you if you become powerful? Local, for example, people will be not go into uh, the system. Uh, Denis Kucinich, he said that there were two assassination attempts on his life when he was a mayor of, of Cleveland. I That's right. Yeah, he talked uh, about that on the radio show. Okay. Yeah. He's, and he's out, out of Congress. They don't even have to kill him. They just have to pay. Uh, somebody said if you have five times more money than your opponent, you always win. So they got rid of Kucinich. Tulsi Gabbard, it's another example. Ron Johnson, of course, is another example. Rand Paul, somewhat of another example. They will, they, you cannot. The moment, that's the point, one of the points of the encyclopedia. The moment you start posing a real threat to them, you are not, you, I'm not a real threat to them because I'm more or less, you know, I have a pretty good scientific article, some original research, but who cares? Uh, I don't know about you. I mean, you're making headway uh, that you might be. But the point is, if you're influential, if you're influential, then either they get rid of you somewhere or another. If you really make, like Huey Long, he tried to work within the system. The two Kennedys, they tried to work within the system. It's not, it's not, because they're breathing down your neck and they will kill you. Uh, first of all, they'll smear you. It's like that. They smear you. They do all kind of things to you. They tell that you that you raped your daughter, whatever it is, some kind of scandal mongering, as Upton Sinclair called it, scandal mongering. They will they will they will kill you with their newspapers, which belong to them. The, the oper- operation Mockingbird. They control the newspaper. If that doesn't work, and if they really need, they'll they will just put you in prison, or they will just kill you. So the, working with this system. Your friend, as much as I admire what he says and what he's trying to do, it's not going to work. People have been trying it now for 200 years to work within the system. And many of the victims, uh, many of the, I go back 100 years, many of the victims, like one, uh, one senator, his name was Karim. Okay, I think, I forgot exactly the date, 100 years ago. He was the enemy of the Federal Reserve. Airplane accident. No, it's not. The moment, you pause, uh, look at what happens to the truckers in Canada. Okay, they're not exactly within the system, but still, the moment you look what happened to the to union members, look what happened to the uh, um, the Black Panther Party was working with the system. They first of all smeared them, or violence, or whatever. They were giving free bread and establishing clinics, trying to help their people. No, they, they uh, so history, I'm I, I really don't like to be such a pessimist, but history absolutely clearly, unequivocally shows that they are too powerful to uh, to to, to uh, displace within the system. It just they control the uh, the minds of most people. The only way, the only way is uh, like the American revolutionaries. Okay. When they started, I'm not sure, but I and, think and you, you, know, you have about very much uh, against them. Fifteen seconds left. We're, we're nearing the end of the show, and in fact, I, I think we're, we're just about effectively ah. there. So, so Modi, you, you've almost oh, okay. talked you've almost okay. talked me into fleeing to Patagonia uh, and moving in next door. But I'm, uh, <laughs> for the time being, I'm going to keep well, trying to. Well, you're always welcome to visit us. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep spreading well, the truth about this nice stuff because we are isolated intellectually. We are isolated, so if you feel uh, like 
you know, uh, we have an apartment that you can stay with us. Okay. Well, I'll think about that. I'll think about retiring to Patagonia after I finish my truth jihad, but it isn't okay. quite finished yet. <laughs> I haven't become important enough for them to bother whacking me, so I need to keep working on it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Modi Nisani. I think your encyclopedia of domestic assassinations is terrific, and I'll be posting links to it. So people can find that at truthjihad.com. Click on the radio show link and find your way to the write-up for this show, and you'll find the link to Modi's book, The Encyclopedia of Domestic Assassinations. Okay, thanks, Modi. Uh, back in the next hour with Joel Hirschhorn and Rolf Lindbergh. They sentenced me to 20 years of boredom for trying to change the system from within I'm coming now, I'm coming to reward them First, we take Manhattan Then we take Berlin 